time that I am talking to parents about their child, it's really important for me, and I tell teachers this too, to understand like what is the parency at home? How does that child learn at home? Because learning takes place everywhere. Make sure that you advocate for your child if you disagree with something or realize that they need something that they're not getting at the school. That you are intentional of showing your child that learning can take place anywhere. It's not just in the classroom. Welcome to How to Have Kids Love Learning, where we explore ideas and strategies for parents and educators that help students thrive. I'm your host, Ed Madison. I'm a professor and researcher at the University of Oregon and serve as executive director of the Journalistic Learning Initiative, a nonprofit organization that empowers middle and high school students to discover their voice, improve academic outcomes, and become self-directed learners through project-based storytelling. Teaching students to become effective communicators is at the heart of JLI's work. Sarah Freyer is an award-winning educator, consultant, curriculum developer, and CEO of the APT Model Education Consulting Firm. She's also co-founder of Reflective Pages, which is a nonprofit, and she's an instructional coach at the Ideal Elementary and Middle Friendship Public Charter School in Washington, D.C. We met recently through New Schools Venture Fund. Sarah, it is so great to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm so excited. It feels so honored. So my first question is, you know, I understand that you believe that teaching is is a calling. So how are you called to teach? Yeah, I do. I believe teaching is a calling because it's hard work. And to stay into teaching, you truly have to be called. And one way that I feel like I am called It's because it is my passion. It's like a strong desire in me that I can't let go. And it brings me so much joy. I can have things going on in my personal life, but the feeling that I get with teaching in the aha moments, I just know that is what I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, I mean, you had teachers in your past that made a significant, um, you know, influence on you um, and, and a really incredible story about just how you were, um, you know, challenged by dyslexia and and uh, share a little bit about that because I think people will be inspired to hear. Yeah. So um, when I was in school, um, I've had some amazing teachers. One of my favorite was my fifth grade teacher, Miss Henschel, um, who I still keep in contact with. Um, and she was just amazing, really became part of the family. Um, and the story about with me with one of my teachers, it was in high school. And I was in honors English and my teacher, she realized, she realized that within my work, when it was time for me to do the work in class, that it would take me extra time. Or if I got it done on time with the writing component, some of my thoughts and ideas would be written backwards or just kind of just the whole process sometimes would be backwards. So she just pulled me to the side one day and she was like, I think you might have a problem. I think it might be dyslexia. She's like, but I know like you passed the test to get in here and your writing examples were able for you to get to this level, but something's kind of missing. Like when you can, and she's like, so have you, this came up before? And I said, you know, actually it has. And I told her, I said, well, 
I kind of just helped myself and I had asked for a recorder and I was like, that's what I need. I was like, if you let me bring my recorder in class or give me extra time, I will record my thoughts of what I want to say and I will play it back and it will slow down for me to mm. really on paper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from there, she just was like, oh my gosh, she was like, so you truly just help yourself. And she, you know, took that and she started letting me use it and got me other help to help me to make sure that um, as the thoughts were going fast in my head, that I can still jot that all down on paper uh, without it being backwards. Mm -hmm. I think what's so wonderful about that story is it demonstrates how you advocated for yourself. And, you know, did that come from just your parental upbringing, which I know was also a huge influence on you? Yeah, it did. Um, it really did come from my parents. Um, they were big on, as they tell it, that they said I came out the womb just being like this natural leader. They was like, just the look on my face is like, I'm just going to go and move, you know, to the dream on bone, beat to my own drum and just keep going. And um, they really embraced me as a child to know how to use that, right? Because some people, when they see a child as being a leader, they might want to say, she's bossy. But my parents were big <laughs> on not saying bossy, but let's use that as a skill set to mold her to use it in a positive way. And so when it really came time to use it in this situation, I feel comfortable to advocate for myself in a respectful way to say, hey, I noticed that too, and thank you. And this is what I have done. And um, they backed me up. When my parents got involved with the situation, they backed me up as well. Of, you know, this is something that she has been working through and what else can you provide before you just label her and let's see if this is really what it, it is. Mm -hmm. Now, I know they also instilled in you the importance of financial literacy. Um, and, and I think that that's just such a, a piece that so many of our students um, need, particularly students of color who, you know, um, just could benefit from having that that sense of, of conviction. Yeah, um, I am very grateful for my parents. Yes, they were big on um, that uh, financial literacy. Um, and it just would start off as, you know, some kids, they get allowance or if they got some extra money from a family member for doing something or a holiday, they were big on showing me the value of the money and putting it away and that um, it would save, you know, it could save it and it would make money over time and things like that. Um, and so much, I'll never forget, when I turned 16, they had got me a car, but I have an older brother. And my older brother had messed up his car. And so they said that we would have to start sharing the car that they gave me. And I was like, oh, no, 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 that is not fair. But guess what? Since they had instilled in me about saving and working, and I had been working, I just ended up buying my own car, my very first own car. So, and so to their point, and they what were really. What does that do for a student? I mean, what does that do for a person in terms of self esteem at 16 to be able to do that for yourself, you know? Oh my goodness, it really made me feel good. Like, I set a goal, I was like, damn. I know this is how much I have saved in the bank. Can I look at the statement again? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay. So I was like, I'm going to keep putting away so much of all of my paychecks. 
And it made me feel good. It really made me to the person I am today about just setting goals in general, not even just financially, but really having me to understand how to set a goal, um, achieve it, right, is really important in the process that goes along with it. Um, So it really did make me feel good at 16 to be like, I got my own car. I bought it myself. And it just helped me with other things of setting goals. Now, you and I and and uh, a lot of other educators um, share a belief that kids do not have deficits. Um, how do you coach teachers to support support their students? Yeah, so one thing that with um, teachers um, is that I let them know, like, everyone just learns different, right? Like, even me coaching them as certain questions that I might ask them of how they receive coaching how do they best receive feedback it's because i'm trying to learn their learning style too as they're learning to grow in their practice so i really let them know to remember that you know every child just learns different so it's not really just a deficit but really can are you able to meet them where they're at and that is the beauty and the magic that i love about teaching is that students really made me grow to look at things differently at how they will look at it and still make me build my teacher toolkit to meet them where they're at and also to what they have to get that is one of the things that we believe is most exciting about our journalistic learning initiative work is that it meets students where they are by acknowledging the things that they're interested in and giving them permission first of all honoring those things and then giving them permission to explore and top you know research and write about them so yeah. you know, until we're totally on the same track about that. So what is, what is the APTI model? Oh, yeah. So the APT model, it stands for Analyze, Plan, Teach, and Inspire. And everything that we do is grounded and centered around social emotional learning. Um, so and then, mm-hmm. Say a little bit more about that because I know, I mean, many educators may know that term, but parents who are listening may not. Yeah, so with social emotional learning, I also have a degree. Um, my master's in this, is in social emotional learning. Um, and so what it is, is that, first of all, learning is social and learning is emotional when you take it backwards, right? Even not just in the classroom setting, but anytime someone is learning something new, there are emotions that go with it. You might get the emotion of being frustrated because you just don't understand it right now. You might get the emotion of being excited because it's clicking, right? And so with SEL, what we do is to help one understand those different emotions that go within that process of learning and also how to maintain that to keep growing, whether it's setting goals, right? Like it's a lot of goal setting, how to collaborate and work with others. Because as you're learning one concept, sometimes the goal of it is to say, hey, can you teach someone else, right? So you got to learn how to collaborate with others, how to communicate. And so SEL is grounded in everything we do to make sure that the work and service that we provide, it is building everyone's social skills, emotional skills, and learning skills. I want to ask you about implicit bias because uh, I was talking to um, Rhonda Neese, who's a neuro researcher in one of the previous uh, sessions about just um, disproportionate disciplinary practices as it relates to students of color and how, um, you know, just you know, suspension. And I know you work with younger kids, so hopefully they're, they're not experiencing this, but often by the time kids are in middle school or high school, you know, um, 
you know, they're, they're labeled as non-compliant, you know, or, or, um, you know, or, um, and just situations that I think there's a, there's a researcher who uses the term they're pushed out. They don't drop out, they're pushed out because they're, they're given the message that you don't belong. Uh, and, and so I'm just curious, you know, how, you know, in terms of it, I saw, cause I saw the term implicit bias and, and want some of the information about you. How do we explain that to educators um, so that they can see sometimes just unintentionally, they may jump to conclusions about a child um, that's not in the best interest. Yeah. So um, that is very personal to me. Right. And mm. with coaching teachers and I really would ask teachers to understand they have to just understand what is your bias, what is you might have a bias and you might not even realize it because sometimes people can be triggered and have a bias because of how one acts. And I'm very intentional within myself or just colleagues and people that I consult and work with to help them through that, right? Because we do not want to keep pushing the kids out or labeling them because of a bias that you have, right? And so it goes back to the importance of centering everything with SEL, right? So if you're having a child that is acting up, right? As a teacher, have you reflected to see, have you done everything? Or do you have this this visual like wall there and that you don't realize that you're really putting a wall because you have a bias and the bias might be because you don't believe they can because they come to school late or they look a certain way. And that's like, that is not that child's fault, right? Or you believe that their parent might not want the best of them because how they present themselves. But truth be told, the parents are giving us the best that they have when they come into our building. Right. And so when you check those biases to say that is grounded in your belief of a bias, but it's not true facts. Um, so, yeah. I, did that answer that question? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think sometimes a child might be dealing with uh, food insecurity or domestic mm-hmm. issues at home, or maybe they're just not getting enough sleep or something. And so, you know, if we don't if we don't acknowledge that kids, you know, come to school, many of them with challenges, yeah, and, and have some, you know, have some compassion for that. Then um, it, it's a, you know, it's a problem. Um, I wanted to ask you um, mm-hmm. also about just your your belief in uh, community service, and and I know that it was important in your development, but also you think it's great for kids to be exposed to that. Yes, I am. I truly um, am big on community service. It is very important to give back. And I am really big with that. Um, When I was a classroom teacher, even now being outside as a leader, um, because it really develops um, children's skill set and personality and importance. It, It gives them that empathy. Right. And. It lets them, like, for example, in a school setting, what I do is once the children to get them excited more about reading and writing, we have this project where we start an initiative where they get to go out to the local um, early childhood centers that are around in our neighborhood of our school, and they get to read to those kids, right? So A, it gets them excited to learn how to read and to write. And then they go back to the younger kids around our community and give service back to them. So they're showing what they know and then they're teaching them and then they're instilling into them the fun and the importance of learning and reading and writing, right? And also when we do community service, 
um, some of my kids, they just went up to the community center and gave back to the elderly people, right? And to honor them and to understand that the importance of giving back to the people that came before us. And it really gives them, like I said, that understanding of empathy and how they would want to be treated and how they will treat others, even if they look different or maybe if they don't have everything. To then, when they get older, understand that that bias can start getting broken by just understanding the importance of community service and getting to learn other people that might be less fortunate or just not there yet where you are, right? Like when we're teaching them how to read to others and to have Mm. I want to ask you, because uh, that dovetails nicely into reflective pages um, and the nonprofit work that you, you do. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So um, Reflective Pages is a nonprofit where we give books, multicultural books. And um, we truly believe that every child um, needs to have the opportunity to um, have a reflection of themselves as they learn and grow. And so we give out multicultural books um, to communities, to schools, to community centers, churches, are just children in general that are needing books. We even gave, gave away um, here at a um, hospital in the um, Maryland, D.C. area uh, for Christmas about two, three years in a row. And the importance of that is just once again showing children that there's characters that look like them or that they are going through things that they might going through. And the story can tell that you can persevere and come through as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have suggestions for, for parents? Um, you know, I, I know that they say, um, and I know from experience that the, you know, the first, you know, three years of a child's life, um, but even those primary years are so important for sort of setting the, the groundwork for who they're going to become. Um, any suggestions for, for parents about how, how they can support their kids um, in terms of what's happening at school, especially if they may sense that, you know, um, their child, the child that they know is not, is not consistent with what they're seeing in like grades or reports, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that question. Um, really starting. And I always say this to parents, um, that the parents are their first, it's the child's first teacher. And, um, anytime that I am talking to parents about their child, it's really important for me, and I tell teachers this too, to understand, like, what is the parent see at home? How does that child learn at home? Because learning takes place everywhere. So, A, I would tell the parents to make sure that you advocate for your child if you disagree with something or realize that they need something that they're not getting at the school, right? Um, that you are intentional of showing your child that learning can take place anywhere. It's not just in the classroom. Learning takes place anywhere. While you are exploring and learning this world and getting to know whether it's the leaves on the ground, okay, there's a lot of learning that can go on in with leaves, okay? When you're in the car listening to music, can they tap to the rhythm of the beat? Can they can they tell you the words that they, you know, like that is all learning, right? And so I try to tell parents to understand when I say that you are your child's first teacher is because you are can show them that they are learning just through life experience. Yeah. Sarah, you are such a voice of inspiration and it's so glad to know you and uh, thank you so much. Tell people how they can find you, um, you and your work uh, on the internet. 
Yeah, well, thank you. Um, once again, thank you again. I'm just so happy to be here, and I love the work that you guys are doing. Um, and if you would like to find me, you can find me on um, the actmodel.com website, or you can follow me on Facebook social media at Sarah Frere with an H-S-A-R-A-H, and Frere like prayer, F-R-A-Y-E-R. Thank you so much. Thank you. How to Have Kids Love Learning is produced by the Journalistic Learning Initiative. For more information about our work, please visit journalisticlearning.com.